Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Change my heart, O oh God. That's the desire of the people of Jesus. That's a person who wants to be more like him and less as the status quo lives. So a couple of weeks ago, we began in this series, Change My Heart, O oh God. And we saw the magnitude of learning to see like Jesus sees. How God and humanity are reminiscent of an ugly, gruesome man. And yet an ugly, gruesome man who has captured the heart of a beautiful woman. And everybody who knows this particular woman pleads with her and says, what could you possibly see in him? And yet her response every single time is, I love them. I love them so much. And I can't help but to love them. And that's how God sees us, and it's how God invites us to see our fellow man. And when we change, and we see the world the way more that, that He does, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, the world around us will be changed as well. And as we continue this morning, I also want to stress the importance of also thinking like He thinks. And so we come to the book of Isaiah this morning in chapter in 55 of Isaiah. Now Isaiah was, was a poet as well as a prophet, as many of the prophets had been. Isaiah had ministered about 40 years in 700s BC. And he is speaking in a very... A calamitous time where the forecast is very dark and it's ominous. And among the foremost messages that he is transmitting to, to Israel is that Jerusalem is going to fall. And yet long before Jerusalem fell at the hand of their, their invaders though, morally speaking, Jerusalem had long since already fallen. As God says earlier on in the book, in chapter 3, he says, For Jerusalem has stumbled, and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, and they defy his glorious presence. Even the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom, and they don't even hide it. And so what we see all throughout the book of Isaiah is the demise of this once great nation of God's people and how they have utterly lost themselves in injustices and in idolatry and in corruption of just about every kind that we can imagine. And so that's what's going on all throughout the book of Isaiah. But what I love about our God, though, is that even with the most ominous of forecast. God is a God of infinite grace and mercy. And that's because even though this is what it was like in, in the days of Isaiah, 
we find interspersed with all of this darkness, good news of great joy, of a powerful one who would come to our rescue. And all of us, of course, know that, that Isaiah is speaking about Jesus so often. In fact, no other Old Testament prophet speaks of Jesus more than Isaiah does. In chapter 9, he's called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and the Prince of Peace. In chapter 53, he is the suffering servant who will bear all of our grief and who goes as a lamb to its slaughter. Then in our text this morning, in chapter 55, he is the covenant maker who gives us something to truly live for. And so in chapter 55 of Isaiah, starting in verse 6, to his fallen nation who has long since abandoned him, we hear the voice of Isaiah crying out the words of God in this barren wilderness. As heaven extends yet another invitation to earth. Verse 6 of Isaiah 55, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then in verse 8, we see his thoughts. As God reveals through his holy prophet, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How we think and what we think about and what we choose to set our minds upon is so utterly crucial. And yet, as the problem so often is as human beings, God reveals to us here that, that our human thoughts and our human ways are so much lower than His. I mean, the human mind possesses a vast and infinite ability to achieve the unimaginable. It was the human mind that had produced the Pieta in Rome and that had painted Van Gogh's Starry Night. It was the human imagination that devised pyramids in Cairo and that launched men to the surface of the moon. It was the human mind that had created the, the locomotive and the automobile and the airplane. And it was the human mind that had constructed the information superhighway. And yet, for as much potential that lies in the human brain for unimaginable good and progress in the world, is the inclination for humanity to squander their genius and the power of their minds for unimaginable evil. As we see in the Word of God, Scripture begins with a world of beauty that, is, that has been created by the hand of a holy God. As we see on the very first page of Scripture, everything that God created is good, and it's remarkable, and it's beautiful, and it's awesome. Man is walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day, and they, they have a fellowship with Him, and they have harmony and peace with their Creator. 
And yet then people come along. And on just the second page of Scripture, we see that the man and the woman have already chosen and decided that they no longer want what God wants. And then sin enters into this world. Man is trying to hide away from God and, and they are cast out of his garden. And what the sentiment of the text is, is that it wasn't supposed to be like this. This isn't how it should have been. On the third page of scripture, Cain becomes jealous. And he lures his own brother out into a field. And he murders him. And he buries him in the ground. And what wells up within the reader is that it wasn't supposed to be like this. This isn't how it should have been. Then on the fifth page of Scripture, God looks out at His creation and He sees how overrun this earth is with wickedness. God takes notice that all of the thoughts and the imagination of, of um, humankind was devoted to evil. And to nothing but evil. And it grieved God to his heart. And he was sorry that he ever made us. And again and again and again as we read the text, what wells up in us is that it wasn't supposed to be like this. It's not how it should have been. And this was ages before plumes of human remains wafted through the chimneys of Auschwitz and Treblinka. It was before the mushroom clouds shook the Hiroshima and Nagasaki skies. As elderly men and pregnant women and little children melted to a smoldering death far down below. It just seems like no matter who we are or what generation we have come from. Each and every human generation has a reel of traumatic and ghastly visuals that play within our minds. Just about all of us have scenes of human beings being blasted by fire hoses as if they were animals. Of the airplanes that once revolutionized our world now crashing into high-rises. In so many ways over, we have raped this earth. And we have distorted all of the goodness and the purity that was within it. And all because someone had to get there. Somebody had to make a quick buck. Somebody had to feel as if they were superior and more powerful than somebody else. And as we think about all of the potential that our minds unfold, I mean, there's just so much wonder that our minds are capable of thinking. And yet the tragedy is, is that far too often in the way that we choose to think, the theater of the human mind is used for hatred, for unforgiveness, for ungratefulness, and for worry. And in so many ways, we likewise cry, it wasn't supposed to be like this. This isn't how it should have been. And even though it is a part of my human nature and I am a very active participant in it, I don't want to have a mind like this anymore. 
I don't want to think like this any longer. And to anybody who also feels the same way that I feel, gratefully there is one who is far greater than we are, who, who rushes to our rescue. And so the bad news is for us this morning is that our thoughts are far lower. And yet the good news of great joy for us this morning is that God's thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. When Jesus walked this earth 2,000 years ago, the way that he thought and the things that he set his mind upon were so foreign to the way that everybody else thought. I mean, Jesus walks into a house where a little girl had just died minutes earlier. Understandably so, everybody is weeping and they're wailing. And yet Jesus walks inside the same exact atmosphere and he's just squinting at everybody. And he announces to everybody in this house, why are you crying? She is not dead. She's just over there taking a nap. She's just asleep. And everybody thinks that he is out of his mind, but, but Jesus was absolutely right. As he raises this girl, who's about 12 years old, brings her back from the dead, and she, she returns to her loved ones. And it very quickly became the expression that the church uses whenever a faithful one has departed. She's not dead. He is not dead. They are just asleep. And that's because life in this world, as long as it may, may appear to us at times, is nothing but a dress rehearsal for eternity with Jesus. I think about the times when Jesus was very vulnerable in his flesh, and he was tempted by the adversary in the wilderness. Just as we also are tempted by the adversary in our own weaknesses. And just as we also experience I mean, these were enticements that Jesus actually wanted to indulge in, in the heat of the moment. Jesus was very much tempted to perform miracles that only served and catered to his own self. And yet he quickly thought, though, and, and he set his mind on, on the things above, and, and he remembered that that is not the mind of Christ. And so three different times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, for I, have come, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, and yet I have come down out of heaven to earth to do the will of, of my Father who sent me. And may God hasten the day when we have that same unquenchable longing and craving within us. That the reason why we exist and why we walk this earth is to honor the desires of God in our thoughts and in our actions. It was a desire that Jesus carried all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane late one night. Or not once or twice, but at least three times we hear Jesus actually praying the words, Father, if you are willing, get me out of this. He prays the second time, Father, don't let me die like this. 
Then he prays a third time, Abba, Father, if you are willing, spare me from being crucified for these people. And yet all three times Jesus culminated his prayer in this regard. He says, but nevertheless, Father, not what I want, but let your will be done. For I have come down out of heaven not to do my own will. I have come to do the will of him who sent me. And as difficult as it is saying no to temptation, and as excruciating as it feels not doing what we so much want to do in the heat of the moment. When we also pray in the same way, Father, not your, my will, but let your will be done. Our minds are in the process of being reprogrammed to think just as Jesus thinks. And when we learn to think the way that he thinks the world and, and so many of the people around us is, are in such a better place than they were before. And I mean, this is exactly what is possible to us. This is what God wants. So in Isaiah chapter 55, God is extending an invitation to Israel. And yet he also invites his church and all of creation here this morning. As he says, and we hear the words again out of the text, let the wicked forsake his way and let the unrighteous ones forsake their own thoughts and let them return to the Lord and he will abundantly pardon all of those who do. And so we see this morning that so much of seeking the Lord and drawing near to him and calling upon his name means having this desire, God, I want to think just like you think. And I'm just wondering what would cause a person who just got home from working a graveyard shift in Reading to be so happy and excited about leading singing in a church service on, on a second's notice. It's within our human nature to say in that circumstance, you know, I, I got two and a half hours of sleep last night. You need to go get somebody else to do that. And yet when that person's response is, this is such a privilege. And here am I, I am the servant of the Lord. We are in the presence of a person who is thinking like Jesus thinks. I mean, what would cause a group of people to see someone else who is having trouble finding a job or a woman who needs a car. And we decide and we get together and we get very excited about helping these individuals. And we give them a $300 gift card to the grocery store at Christmas time. Or we hand them keys to a used car. In so many ways, it's within our human nature to judge people. And to jump to conclusions about why they are struggling or why they can't find a job and say, you know, that's their own problem. That's not my problem. And yet when the response is, well, of course we need to help these people because after all, if we were in their shoes, that is exactly how we would want to be treated. Amen. And when we learn to think in the way that Jesus thinks, 
He transforms the theater of our minds into a theater of the mind of, of God and of the divine. And when we learn to think in the way that he thinks, the human mind is now all of a sudden being used for indescribable good and beauty in the world. Amen. And now we are being surrounded by people who are thinking like Jesus thinks. And that is the beauty of his church. I mean, God's thoughts are so higher than our thoughts that, that even when our minds are full of faith and confidence in his power, as the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians, who, whose desire was, was to know the love of Christ, he says, now to him who is able to do far more exceedingly abundantly than, than anything that we could ever ask or think or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. So as we close our message this morning, I think the most important word that will be helpful for us in the day ahead is, is the word repentance. I think repentance is one of those churchy words that has lost its, its meaning in our um, awareness. I used to think when I was younger that repentance meant, oh, I'm sorry, God, that I got caught sinning. <laughs> and yet that is not at all what repentance means. Rather, what repentance means, as I have learned, it literally means to put on a brand new mind. And to think differently about everything. In Isaiah chapter 55, God is inviting his people to think the way that he thinks. And yet before we begin to be transformed in the renewing of our minds, we must invite God to take our lower thoughts and to make them higher. So the invitation that I want to extend this morning comes to us from Psalm 139. As King David writes in Psalm 139, in verse 2, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, and you discern my thoughts from afar. In verse 17, he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. But then lastly, in verse 23, comes his invitation to God. As he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know what my thoughts are. And see if there is any grievous way within me. And then lead me in the way that is everlasting. And if we could reach the point where every morning that we wake up, we extend God this identical invitation. And all of these circumstances where our own thoughts are being hostile and negative towards another person or towards our own selves, it will cause us to be aware that, that okay, I know that is how my human nature is thinking about this person or, or about this circumstance that I'm in. And yet, what would happen if I dared to think with regards to this person or towards my own self in the way that Christ would, would actually think? And so our prayer this morning and in the days ahead is, change my mind, O God. 
And if we learn to think the way that he thinks, those around us will be changed too.